The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined, as always, by our guest, His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Uh, your Excellency, a warm welcome to you. Thank you for having me. On this episode, we're going to be discussing the next encyclical in our series, Popes Against the Modern Errors, and it will be Deuternum Illud on government authority, and it was by His Holiness, Pope Leo XIII. And it's it's... You know, as is the case with all these encyclicals, Your Excellency, you always feel as if the popes were living right now. You know, that they're across the the world, they're in Italy, they're writing this encyclical for present day. But it's so striking to think uh, His Holiness was writing this in 1881. And uh, I guess this is the the case with all these encyclicals. It always feels, you know, right in our face. Um, But I think this is particularly good because there's a, there's a, there's a quote from, from you, which we'll be talking about in a different episode, uh, which, which will come out uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, um, about the fact that if, if one holds a principle uh, and sees it contradicted, that that becomes the reality. Uh, and uh, let, me, let me get your exact quote. A truth does not remain true in people's minds and hearts unless it is lived. If a truth remains purely theoretical and is actually contradicted in practice, before long it is the false practice which dictates what is true. And I think par excellence, this encyclical is an opportunity for Catholics who have been malformed by the culture or by bad history or by bad teachers to understand the Catholic position on government, God's authority, and our role as good citizens within that Um, and it will surprise some people the principles that are laid down in here because I think many of us are taught badly uh, if we are not exposed to the traditional teachings of the church. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, yes, the, the the reason why these uh, encyclicals are so current and present, we might say, is because the modern world operates on all of the principles of the French Revolution and. Pope Leo XIII and other popes of the 19th century are simply addressing the principles of the French Revolution and their effects in society. And those have not changed. In fact, these effects have become stronger and enhanced uh, in our time, so they're actually more clear. And that's why the encyclical is, is so poignant to us, because we see it in action. I just wish that these popes were around now, in order to comment on what's going on today, I could just imagine what sort of documents would be coming out 
practically every day from the Vatican condemning the condition of the world today. Are you saying they wouldn't be worrying about water rights or uh, about uh, <laughs> global warming? That's very strange. Those are very novel ideas, Your, your Excellency. No, there is so much to condemn today. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the world is is so much on the wrong path that uh, it would be the the duty of a true pope to to speak to these errors uh, and warn the world, the entire world, against these errors because it's it's going to lead to some terrible disaster, uh, a very very grave social uh moral disaster and perhaps even war uh it, it you know we should not think that we're going to live like this forever mm. <clears throat> well we're going to dive right in this is a long longer encyclical than the the previous ones that we've examined your excellency so i'm going to try to move as quickly as i can the very first paragraph speaks to the fact that uh, monarchs or people who rule the states, not necessarily monarchs at this point in history, in 1881. Rulers. Uh, Call them rulers. rulers. Mm -hmm. uh, he says at the end of the first paragraph, so great is the license on all sides, so frequent are seditions and tumults, that not only is obedience often refused to those who rule states, but a sufficiently safe guarantee of security does not seem to have been left to them. And then he goes on to allude in the second paragraph to the, uh, the murder of Alexander II. Of Russia, yeah, and Russian, you know, it's, uh, it's something to think about. You're, you're going to see. We, 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 to even think about harming a ruler during Christian times, there was this inextricable link between the head of the state and and God. God gave that authority. There is a certain certain sort of hitting out at God when you hit out at the ruler, and uh, the Pope immediately identifies. Well, not only are these people disobeyed, but you can't even guarantee that they won't be murdered. Yes, yeah, so that, that is the effect of of 18th century political thinking, which is extolled uh, beyond you know, just to the stars by modern thought. Montesquieu, Rousseau, Voltaire, all of these people are held in such high esteem, but they are the ones that gave us revolutionism. And it is revolutionism which dictates the the slaying of a monarch or any ruler at all, uh, even a legislature. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, rising up in revolt, exterminating in one way or the other those who rule. Uh, and uh, it is, is the doctrine of revolutionism. And I should explain, uh, uh, probably at this point, the, the difference between the Catholic and the revolutionist idea of politics. The the Catholic idea, and he, Pope Leo is explicit in this, he, he gives a paragraph that is perfect. The The Catholic idea is this, that the while it pertains to the people to designate what kind of government they have, and that could be a, a democracy, it could be a republic, it could be a monarchy, it could be an elected monarchy, such as the Holy Roman Empire, or a hereditary monarchy, as most monarchies were. Uh, it could be any legitimate form of government, and the Church is indifferent to that, uh, although its philosophers would prefer monarchy. But the, the, uh, the Church is ultimately indifferent. It, it pertains to the people to choose that. It pertains to the people to make a fundamental law or constitution 
giving the mechanics of government uh, what the powers are of, of this person or that person and, and so forth. Um, that pertains to the people, but and that pertains to the people to to set up the designation either by election or by excuse me acclamation because most of the monarchies were done by a form of acclamation of a certain person i mean essentially they were elected the original monarchs so that all pertains to the people what does not pertain to the people though is power and i have to make some distinctions there the, there are two theories of government. Uh, one is the Jesuit, the other one is the Thomist or Dominican. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're following the, along in the encyclical, His Excellency is referring to uh, uh, paragraphs 6 and 7, which is the fact that the Church is indifferent, and now he's going to talk about paragraphs 5 and 8 and beyond. Yeah, sorry, sorry I might be jumping the gun here, but we can't really talk about other things in the encyclical unless I make this explanation. Absolutely, it's directly related. Uh, so the now let me explain the the Bellarmineists and Suarezists. Now it all comes from Suarez because Bellarmine merely followed Suarez on this. But who are often cited, they say that God, all power is from God, which is the teaching of the Church, but it is given to the people, and they in turn transfer it to the ruler. All right the. The Thomists say, no, all power is from God. It pertains to the people merely to designate who shall rule and how they shall rule. But once that person is designated, his power comes directly from God. It is never in the people. All right? so the, but in both cases, you have power from God. I mean, there's no, no doubt about that in the Catholic system you have power from God. Now, the Jesuits, however, admit that with regard to the Pope, all, all Catholic philosophers say with regard to the Pope, the Thomas theory applies, that he is merely designated and his power comes directly from God. So that's in the what we call the thesis of Gerard de Laurier, that designation is the material side of his authority, the power from God is the formal side, which makes him to be the Pope. That's just a footnote on that. But even in civil power, you have that distinction between a material and formal side, that is, designation to rule and power. Uh, and, and in, but in the Catholic system, no matter whether you're a Jesuit or a Dominican, the power to rule comes from God, and that is critical. In the revolutionist system of the 18th century, the power rests with the people, and because they designate no certain persons. Yeah, it doesn't come from God. It's just a power. They they have this 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 power to rule themselves, and they make deputies, delegates, or they might even have a king. But he is merely the servant of the people, who is or, or the delegates are merely servants of the people who are doing the will of the people. That's Rousseau, the general will. They are merely finding out what the people want, and they're putting it into effect, so that all of their legitimacy comes from their ability to conform to the will of the people and to change as the will of the people changes. So that's a, a radically different idea. 
and it it empowers the the mob essentially that is the majority of the people to rise up against their rulers when their rulers are not doing what the people want See, that's very clear in jeffersonian uh writings that there is a a right to revolt jeffersonian was a a great admirer of the french revolution there is a right to revolt and and the people always retain that right to revolt because ultimately they retain the power see now that was con- it's condemned in this encyclical it's also condemned in saint pius the 10th um uh, uh notre charge apostolique which condemns uh, the sion in france the mm. that idea that the power remains with the people and it is and that the delegates are merely functionaries of the power of the people that is condemned by the catholic church uh the the Catholic Church teaches that all authority is from God, and there are scriptural quotes which are mentioned in this encyclical, which we should see, and quotes from the Fathers which support that. But the, it is explicit in St. Paul. Uh, and uh, that has always been the, the uh, attitude of all, all peoples. Uh, there has been always uh, a tight connection between religion and the throne. In, in even in non-Catholic pagan religions, there has been a tight connection between religion and the throne. Because why does a, a human being have the right to tell you what to do, except by the power of God? Why does a mob have the power over you? Why do why does one human being or a group of human beings have any power to tell you what to do? Why do why can a judge send you to jail or send you to the electric chair? Or whatever they do today. What is in him? That yeah, the he has the right to do that, to take your life away. Who who can do that? Even even if everyone in the whole country, if, ever, if the whole mob, 100% of the mob said this man should die, by what power do they do that? There is no source of that power because another, one human being doesn't have any power over another human being in himself. And Pope Leo says that explicitly in here. The power must come from God. The state is is something that is is dependent on God's authority and is a functionary of God, not a functionary of the mob. Uh, that is capital in, in Catholic thinking. Yet most Catholics would... Because we, are, we learn this stuff, uh, you know, every single day from... Uh, what is you know common political thought, which comes from the Enlightenment. The the United States was the first to put into effect the the philosophy of the Enlightenment, uh, the so-called Enlightenment of the 18th century, uh, the divorce of the state from God. Um, the because we grow up with that, we think, oh yes, well you know power. This is a democracy. The people have the power. And the politicians are there simply to carry out the will of the people. I mean, that if you said that to the even the average Catholic, they'd say, "Well, of course that's true." Of course, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what else and is I, there? I want to come on to those uh, scriptural and quotes from the fathers, uh, your But I, I know that I can already hear a question from our audience. Uh, we know where His Excellency stands on the Thomist Bellarmine controversy here. 
Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that's too difficult to decipher. However, has the church ever ruled on this definitively, or is it possible to hold either of these uh, point positions still? Well, it's not contrary to faith. Uh, it was, I, of course, hold to the Thomist, uh, the, uh but to hold to the Jesuit Bellarminist uh, is, is not contrary to faith. It's an error, though. And the reason that it's an error is that, as the Thomists point out, the mob, that is the people, cannot be the subject of political power. In order to have, if a group of people are the subject, that is the owners or the possessors of political power, they have to be organized in some way. It has to be a legislature, for example, that has a legal manner of procedure, uh, just like the Congress or the Parliament. Uh, they, it has to act as a single unit, as a moral, what we call a moral person. But how do you, you know, put power in just a bunch of people? For example, who belongs to the bunch of people? <laughs> you know, uh, who are people who are are, are le- who are legitimate in in selecting someone to rule them? I mean, how do you, where does this power reside? How does merely a bunch of people have power? Uh, that, that's, the, um, uh, that's the criticism of the Thomists, is that a, 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 just a mob or a bunch of people cannot be the subject of political power. Uh, that, uh, uh, so, uh, but it, in any case, uh, it's not against the faith to be Bellarminist. Now, often people who who are uh, defending the American system, which is essentially revolutionist and, and Rousseauian, that means Rousseau, uh, they say, well, St. Robert Bellarmine, you know, they, they cite St. Robert Bellarmine, and St. Robert Bellarmine is not a revolutionist. He is one of those people uh, that uh, ad- adhere to the transferal theory, and that is that the, the power rests in the people, but they transfer it to the ruler, and they can't take it back. <laughs> He's not a revolutionist. They, once it's transferred, it's transferred. That person has the power, and they can't take it back. Uh, the, uh, uh, I mean, the Jesuits were never spreading revolutionism. Uh, it was Voltaire, Rousseau, Montesquieu, and those big figures of the 18th century uh, pagan, anti-Catholic, just grossly anti-Catholic philosophers, quote-unquote, who are spreading revolutionism as well as Freemasonry. That's what they mean by liberty. You know, all of the cult of liberty in the late 18th century was from, uh, from revolutionism. That is that the, the monarch or the ruler really doesn't have this power over you. We have the power. We have freedom. Those people are there just to serve us and to do our will. That was the idea of liberty. Uh, because liberty in itself is a good thing. It, it, you know, it, free will is, and our liberty to, to do the, what is right and good is a very important thing to us. The Church is never against liberty in itself, and that's an encyclical which we'll talk about later. But liberty in the sense that they meant it was liberty from rulers who rule by the, by the power of God. That is, beyond the reach of the mob. Uh, that's what is 
is uh, revolutionism. That's the French Revolution. Those are the ideas that Pope Leo the Thirteenth is are uh, is uh, condemning in this encyclical. Well, and I, those of you who may not know, Bishop Sanborn's very much in defense of the liberty to choose his own chalices. For example, uh, this is something that he would definitely fight uh, to keep. Um, the, His Excellency alluded to some scriptural quotes and some quotes from the fathers, and, and we'll speak about those. Those are in uh, paragraphs 9 and 10. In paragraph mm-hmm. 9 from the book of Proverbs, by me kings reign, by me princes rule, and the mighty decree justice. And from mm-hmm. uh, the mouth of our Lord himself, thou shouldst not have any power against me unless it were given thee from above. Or I suppose, or transferred to you from uh, from the the people, <laughs> if we were including that. Uh, the, well, and even the, the, even that, but even in the Bellarmine system, the authority comes from God. I mean, so it, it would that would even apply. I mean, in defense of the Jesuits, uh, uh, it's just that it's transferred from the people to Pilate. <laughs> yeah. But it does come from above uh, in that system. But in the Thomas system, it comes directly from above. And then the, the designation coming from the emperor Tiberius. <laughs> again, we, and we uh, we see that exact uh, echo in Saint Augustine in paragraph ten. We do not attribute the power of giving government and empires to any but the true God. And uh, Saint John Chrysostom follows that up by saying that there are kingdoms and that some rule, while others are subject, and that none of these things are brought about by accident or rashly is, I say, a work of divine wisdom. And that goes back to what you were saying, Your Excellency. You know. Why does a judge have the power over life and death? That's a, that's a power of God. Whether people want to admit that there is a God or not, they can't operate in a system in which a human being has that sort of power unless they're acting in a, in a divine stead. Even if they've lost that uh, psychological or, or um, philosophical underpinning, it's a, it's a reality we all live with all over the world. Yeah. Something else that I really appreciate every time I, I read an encyclical, uh, Your Excellency, is is just how how tight and concise the Holy Father is usually able to be. You're taking this huge uh, concept, this intellectual construct, and they bring it down to these single paragraphs and are able to so clearly explain this. It's such a pleasure. I, I, said, I know I said this in previous episodes, but it's such a pleasure to read this because you feel like you're you're getting the points, you're getting the, the understanding without having to necessarily read 100 pages, you can read, you know, 20 or 30 pages and, and really get the, the Church's uh, perspective on things. Yes, yes. The, uh, these are very, very well thought out and crafted, we might say, pieces of information. I mean, each paragraph is action-packed and contains very concisely and clearly uh, what, the, what the doctrine is. In contrast to the modernists, who uh, I think uh, Ratzinger's, uh, one of his encyclicals on charity was 33,000 words, which is one-third of a book. You know how long it would take to read 33,000 words? Uh, And it's all gobbledygook. If you read John Paul II's, I mean, what did he say? What did the man say? Maybe it's better we don't understand. But they just talk and talk and talk uh, and, and... say nothing, and they're talking in modernist gobbledygook, which is typical of a modernist. But this is so crystal clear. Uh, so if you look at paragraph 7 in this, it, Leo XIII sets out the, the, the whole 
idea that I just explained. He said, there is no question here respecting forms of government, for there is no reason why the Church should not approve of the chief power being held by one man or by more, provided only it be just. So the, the only government I think that the Church ever condemned as unjust was communism and that it tend to the common advantage. So that is always a, a principle concerning uh, authority, is that it must do, or it must tend to, the common good. So if it thwarts, if it intends to thwart the common good uh, by, the, say, the oppression of the people, or, uh, then there is a loss of authority. Uh, and that's that's really the argument that we're saying concerning uh, the modernist so-called popes, and that is that they intend the evil uh, evil for the church. They they do not intend its essential good, which is the preser- preservation of the faith. They intend to impose upon the church a new religion, and for this reason they don't have authority because an essential part of authority is that it intend the common good. Uh, So he sets down that uh, principle. He says, Wherefore, so long as justice be respected, the people are not hindered from choosing for themselves that form of government which suits best either their own disposition or the institutions and customs of their ancestors. So he's saying that it is up to the people to choose what form of government they will have. And the Church has always followed that. The, The... the church has never gotten into uh, fights over legitimacy and you know who's the who's the real king here. Uh, it has always taken a step back. And at Gregory the Sixteenth actually said uh, concerning the South American republics, um, and he was you know no no liberal uh, because they were all in revolt and there were so many RPMs you know revolutions per minute that, uh, you know, who knows who's in charge today. He said, we will accept whatever government is de facto in charge, and we will deal with them, and we will, we will uh, expect to set up uh, some sort of agreement uh, in order to ha- let the church function in a normal way in those countries. So it wasn't going to get into any of Spain's claim to, to be uh, the colonial rulers or... Uh, most of the, Spain did virtually nothing to protect its empire in, in South America, and, and Portugal as well. And so that has always been the the attitude uh, that we're going to accept the de facto government, and that's uh, essentially what the Church did, even in Nazi Germany. Uh, in 1933, there was a concordat signed with Hitler. Uh, that's the de facto government. That's the government you elected. That's the government that is there. And uh, uh, it, that's what it did with Mussolini. Uh, it, uh, it, that's what it did with the United States. Uh, it, it, it really is indifferent to who's ruling and how someone is ruling, what form of government. Uh, it just wants to carve out a situation for the church in which it can flourish. So... Uh, um, that's something. Well, some, so, well, someone might argue. Well, this sounds that sounds intensely practical, and we're not used to hearing uh, Bishop Sanborn defend practicalities when it comes to <laughs> politics. But, but I, I think I think the point is made that governments come and go, but the church is always present, and it's her job to defend her rights. 
and that's what she's more interested in rather than whether you know this monarchy will be around because honestly monarchies come and go uh, and uh, people don't have male heirs in in countries in which they require a male male ruler and then suddenly you have a change of dynasty so dynasties come and go monarchies come and go but the church has to defend her rights always Yes, however, republics come and go much faster than monarchies do. <laughs> the republics have a very bad history uh, for uh, you know stability. Um, the only exception to that is the Venetian Republic, which lasted for 800 years. But republics have a bad history of instability. Uh, monarch, monarchies, and especially hereditary monarchies, have a very good record for stability, although you know nothing's perfect. Uh, you're, you, but uh, you don't have when you, when you have a clear heir because of heredity, then there's no no one can fight over who's going to rule. The probable cause of the fall of the Roman Empire is that Augustus Caesar never made his house hereditary, and at each death, I mean, it, it lasted for a while because everyone recognized the heirs, the the Caesar family, essentially until Nero. But after Nero, that's when things started to... At every death there was a, a, of, a of an emperor, there was a fight. And somebody emerged, and eventually the, the army was the one that, that designated. And by the third century, there was an emperor every two years, and people being assassinated all the time, because there was no clear heir. Uh, so, but anyway, that's, that's all, all neither here nor there. Uh, but uh, the point is that the church is <clears throat> indifferent and that it is up to the people to designate. So uh, in uh, paragraph uh, 6, it says, It is of importance, however, to remark in this place that those who may be placed over the state may in certain cases be chosen by the will and decision of the multitude without opposition to or impugning the Catholic doctrine. And by this choice, in truth, the ruler is designated, but the rights of ruling are not thereby conferred. Nor is the authority delegated to him, but the person by whom it is to be exercised is determined upon. Now, that would say that Leo is a Thomist on that. So that mm. is the, he, he's not talking about transferal of any... Uh, see, he says, the, nor is the authority delegated to him, now, the Bellarminists might say, well, we're not talking about a, a delegation. We're talking about a transferal. But still, uh, the way it reads, I would say he's of the Thomist opinion on this, that, that, the, uh, that the only thing that is determined by the people is who shall exercise the power, but that the power comes from God, which he said in the original, uh, in the uh, paragraph before, number five, Indeed, very many men of more recent times walking in the footsteps of those who in a former age assumed to themselves the name of philosophers, he's talking about Rousseau and Voltaire, say that all power comes from the people, so that those who exercise it in the state do not do so as their own. It's not their own power they're using, but as delegated to them by the people and that by this rule it can be revoked by the will of the very people by whom it was delegated. So there's revolutionism. But from these, Catholics dissent, who affirm that the right to rule is from God, as from a natural and necessary principle. That's, that paragraph is extremely important. Uh, you know, you can think of Lincoln saying, 
government by the people and of the people and for the people. I forget the the order of those. Uh, you know, shall not perish from the face of the earth. You know, which was a ridiculous statement. It sounds, you know, everybody memorized. Oh, it sounds so noble. The, uh, as the Southerners point out, <clears throat> all of their legislatures had voted to secede. It wasn't a. <laughs> everything was done legally. And the people of the South, the people of the South, wanted to be separate from the North. And as if the, this, this 18th century revolutionist uh, idea of government by the people was going to perish if the North lost the war. <laughs> I mean, that's a perfectly absurd statement. Because you would have had the powerful North continuing in its in its ideas, the South had the same ideas of the 18th century. Nothing was going to perish from that point of view. <laughs> the only thing that was going to perish was the American Union. <laughs> and and uh, the uh, so I mean that just a, is a totally absurd, totally absurd statement. But in any case, uh, that that is in the American mentality that. The people are the possessors of the power, and they can dump the government any time they want. Uh, and that, that is, uh, that's the Declaration of Independence, you know, that when, when the people decide that the government is no longer in their best interest, they have the right to revolt. Well, and I appreciate the sort of pocket insult here by His Holiness where he says, uh, <laughs> they assumed to themselves the name of philosophers. Right? He's, <laughs> yes. not gonna, he's not going to concede that they really should be called philosophers, but he's... <laughs> yes. He wants to make sure people know who he's talking about. Uh, yes, well, the term philosopher is a uh, you know, means uh, a lover of wisdom, and, and these people are of the are the lovers of obscurantism and darkness. That's what they are. Yes, so that's why the the name uh, I guess the term enlightenment is so ironic. I suppose. Um, we, yes. we want to we want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Popes Against the Modern Errors. Uh, today's episode is on Deuteronom Illid, and up to this point, His Excellency has been laying the foundation uh, that His Holiness has been putting forth in the encyclical about why uh, why power comes from from God. We have scriptural quotes, and we have quotes from the fathers, but also the sort of common sense. There's a reason why power comes from above. Now, um, the didactic part of the encyclical goes on to explain why this is a good thing and how this brings about a good society. In paragraph 15, uh, His His Holiness points out that human authority has to work with God's law, not against it. So the quote reads, If therefore it should happen to anyone to be compelled to prefer one or the other, namely to disregard either the commandments of God or those of rulers, he must obey Jesus Christ who commands us to render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Um, and and then as 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 he unpacks that, his holiness goes on to point out that this isn't just an idea of the the mighty being in charge for for being in charge's sake that that power is some sort of end in itself. He ends paragraph sixteen by a quote from the Book of Wisdom: "For God will not accept any man's person, neither will he stand in awe of any man's greatness, for he made the little and the great, and he hath equally care of all." But a greater punishment is ready for the more mighty. He's preparing us for what he's going to talk about next. But this idea that um, yes, you are in charge. Yes, you're the ruler. 
but it's not an excuse. In fact, actually, you have greater responsibilities than the rest of us. Yes, the uh, when the ruler ceases to understand his responsibility ultimately to God and to the people for God's sake, to see to the good of the people for God's sake, uh, he becomes a tyrant. And that can be true. We often think of tyrants as monarchs, of course, you know, living in post-Voltarian society. But uh, republics can very easily become tyrannical as well. <laughs> uh, as Joseph de Mestre pointed out, every government is a monarchy because there is always something or someone, and that is one thing, that has the power and the ultimate say. Whether it's a legislature, whether it's a person, it doesn't matter. Something, somebody, has the ultimate say. So every government is, in that sense, a monarchy. And so people should not be so naive as to think that, well, because we have a Republican or Democratic government that we are protected from tyranny. Absolutely not. Uh, we're seeing the uh, 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 tyrannical government form in the United States, where the, especially the federal government is uh, assuming powers that are, are far beyond anything that was ever conceded to it by the Constitution, and which are imposing upon the people uh, a horrible tax burden, and uh, far beyond anything that monarchs ever imposed. Uh, a, a, uh, and this country is relatively light in tax in comparison to other countries, uh, which is imposing uh, you know, socialist ideas and practices like uh, the Obamacare and all uh, upon the people. Uh, the, um, any government is capable of tyranny uh, once it loses that idea of its responsibility to God and its responsibility to the people, where it just becomes a self-serving power monster. Uh, and uh, but when when somebody understands, when a monarch understands why he has power, both from God and for the good of the people, it tempers his power naturally, because he has to think about what he's doing and how God will judge him. He has to think about every day: is this law for the common good? He has to be very serious about what he does. That's a that's a great monarch, and he is naturally tempered. His power is naturally tempered. It's only when he forgets about his uh, his uh, authority being from God, and thinks of himself as something independent from God, uh, that uh, that he is becomes a, a real tyrant. And that's unfortunately the society that. The rev that the 18th century is dictated, and that is a society that is completely separated from the church, separation of church and state, so that the there is no voice of morality with regard to the making of laws. That n who can say what is moral? So that's why we have same-sex marriages in this country because there's no one to say that it's wrong. <laughs> Who's to say? That it's wrong. Well, so who, I, who the, are they to judge? I suppose if they put yes, themselves who are they in to that judge? position. But it's true. Who are they to judge? You see, there is nothing in the Constitution that says the natural law must be observed. The Congress and the Supreme Court are on their own. 
and, you know, these wonderful people that belong to it. I mean, who are they to make any moral decision at all? <laughs> you know, it's, they, they, they are far beyond their competence, and because you have separation of church and state, when it comes down to who shall marry whom, well, they throw up their hands and say, well, we can't really stop it. There's, there's no religion that we adhere to that says uh, that this is wrong. Uh, I, you know, the, the next thing to come down the line, I don't see why it isn't even here, is, is bigamy. Well, who's to say that you can't have a hundred wives like they do in Arabia and other places? Uh, well, that just might be a common sense thing, Your Excellency, but uh, <laughs> but I suppose it's easy for the unmarried man to, to make that comment. Um, as as you, as you allude to here, you have this this divorce between what what is uh, supposed to happen and what is the reality, and you have again the the Holy Father is in a way calling back to that very first paragraph. Uh, which reads, not only is obedience often refused to those who rule states. So he's he's making sure people understand it's a great responsibility to rule a state. But then he's trying to, through the encyclical, reinstill for those who, who may have lost it, or at least reaffirm the church's teaching for those who already knew it, the importance of obedience and and what a great virtue this is. And it's so strange, Your Excellency, even as I'm talking about it conceptually, there's a part of me, this horrible modern liberal part of me, that is is, is great for me to talk about this. Says, so, well, you know, who are you know why? And it's a it's a bit uh, shameful that I haven't completely extinguished that. But this this modern inculcation, it's like, well, why are you talking about obedience? That that's not such a great thing. And the Holy Father goes on paragraphs 18 and 19 to really make this point. Uh, at the end of at the end of uh, seven uh, at the end of paragraph 17 that they, on this account, submit to and obey their rulers, because these, in a certain sort, bring before them the image of God, whom to serve is to reign. Uh, and to, uh, in the middle of paragraph 18, uh, to teach the people with the utmost care and diligence to be subject to princes and powers, to obey at a word. And he's quoting from Titus there. And at the beginning of paragraph 19, this Christian, this this great modesty, this fixed determination to obey, and it goes on to to quote Tertullian in the middle of paragraph 19. The Christian is the enemy of no one, much less of the emperor, whom he knows to be appointed by God, and whom he must therefore of necessity love, reverence, and honor, and wish to be preserved together with the whole Roman Empire. So within the American context, you see there's there's a, a dual balance here. One, you have to fight off what you've been taught in schools that, well, you know, if, if the government becomes intolerable, then you have a right to, to revolt. But on the other hand, also remembering that it's important to, to create the sense of obedience, that it flows through everything. If we can accept this obedience to our rulers, it flows together with our obedience to God in our prayer life, and there's no distinction. That, that false divorce that you spoke about, that there's a a separation between church and state. Well, this creates this. Well, I, I can obey God and and the commandments at church, but you know I can cheat on my taxes in the in the uh, secular world because there's no relationship. But like, the Holy Father is obviously alluding to the fact that obedience to the rulers is concomitant with obedience to to Christ. Absolutely, it is, and that's something that has been lost by the modern world as a result of the 18th century thought. The uh, revolutionism 
uh, has a contempt for authority as it is vested in rulers because they see the, the ruler as their servant and, and as their delegate and, and they themselves as part of the mob. We're the mob. We have delegated this person to act for us. So there is a contempt for authority. Uh, for example, before the revolution, it was uh, unheard of and wrong uh, to make caric- caricatures of the of the king and to, in some way, insult the king uh, because of that sense of respect and authority. That you you there was a deep, deep sense of respect for authority in pre-revolutionary Europe. Uh, it even survived to a great extent, especially among Catholics. Uh, a very, very deep uh, uh, respect for authority. But in republicanist and revolutionist society, there is a contempt for authority. Uh, these are, are, are you know, people that we really have no respect for. They're there at our will uh, and our bidding, and uh, we can recall them as we will. That, that produces a, a situation in which you get scum, uh, running for these offices, and and if they're not scum when they're running, they become scum when they're in it. I mean, who wants to be just a, a, some sort of a, 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 a representative or a de- delegate of a mob that that can change at a moment's notice uh, as the press will will uh, tell them to change, uh, for whom the people just have contempt and, and who are ridiculed. Uh, by the press and by others, uh, who wants to, what? Who, what normal person would want that kind of a job? Uh, and uh, so it it invites scum, the, the that system of revolutionism. So rulers are tend to be to be low people and, and uh, people of of no principle, uh, and people who are just listening to the the drumbeat of the mob and will change uh, as the mob changes. So we've seen a lot of these Republicans, for example, switch sides on same-sex marriages because they know that's how they keep their power and their pensions and everything else that goes with being members of Congress. Uh, because uh, what do they care, you know, if, if two people want to do that? Uh, and if, if most Americans are in favor of it, which they are, uh, you know, who am I to judge? And well, that, that a, is a very serious problem. I mean, it, it, that will lead to grave, grave problems in the future. Well, and if anyone has any doubts, if they were watching what happened in America and Indiana recently, uh, they can uh, well, all His Excellency's words will be confirmed. And that's not something we're going to talk about on today's episode, but it, it hammers home the point that if you live in contradiction, the contradiction becomes the truth uh, because the mob mm-hmm. dictates it. Uh, which is yes. what we talked about. Now, as again, His Holiness is he starts us with authority that it comes from God. Why it's necessary to govern a good society? He he warns rulers that it's important to be not just a king but a good king. It's important for the rule to be obedient because obeying is uh, obedience to God as well. And I think in paragraph twenty-two, there's a lament for a high watermark. Uh, and, and you might correct me, or you may you may not agree, but I, I very much took from paragraph 22 a sort of lament that Leo the Thirteenth, uh, you know, would have hoped for the Holy Roman Empire to continue. He said, "It is not to be doubted that what was then instituted 
would always have been a very great gain, both to ecclesiastical and civil society, if princes and people, peoples had ever looked to the same object as the church. And indeed, tranquility and a sufficient prosperity lasted so long as there was a friendly agreement between these two powers. If the people were turbulent, the church was at once the mediator for peace. Yes, the church uh, always was searching for a reestablishment of the Roman Empire. The idea being that the Roman Empire was Christianized, and uh, how wonderful it would be to have this civil government, this Christianized civil government, again in power. And so the, uh, the, uh, the church lamented greatly the fall of the empire, uh, it, uh, it, that, that fall was the source of a lot of its problems in the Middle Ages because bishops, by default, became the rulers of certain areas. And so there was a, a crossover, we might say, of power that, was, that is not theoretically correct. Uh, and uh, so that was the source of that. It, the, the, that's why the church favored Charlemagne so much. And, you know, Charlemagne was not perfect. Uh, the church has tolerated a lot of problems uh, at the hands of Christian monarchs in order to preserve that great principle of which he is speaking here, and that is a nation that is, has Christian rulers in which there is recognized the correct form of political government where power comes from God, ultimately from Christ, uh, and, and uh, the, uh, that uh, you know, Christ is, is enthroned as the king. Uh, and that's why the Church uh, you know, always prayed for the emperor in, in the exultet, uh, uh, the, the emperor being the ultimate heir of Charlemagne, Charlemagne being seen as the ultimate restorer of the Western Empire. Uh, so the the church had always favored the restoration of the Roman Empire. The uh, uh, the church would not have suffered so much in the West uh, if it had had a uh, the Roman Empire continuing in the West. Uh, the all of the interference of kings in the in the appointment of bishops in the Middle Ages was due to the fact that those bishops had a lot of power, and the kings wanted to control that power. Uh, and so it, it was it was unfortunate. Uh, but as I said, the, the church tolerated a great deal from from Catholic monarchs in order to preserve that union of church and state. Now, you you said at the beginning of our episode, Your Excellency, that we're able the part of the reason the encyclical seems so modern and current is when we read them, we feel like we're reading from present day texts is because the problems have metastasized, and so we're able to see more clearly how how rotten the foundations are. And uh, His His Holiness is, is, is somewhat predicting this in paragraph 23. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the doctrines on political power invented by late writers have already produced great ills among men, and it is to be feared that they will cause the very greatest disasters to posterity. For an unwillingness to attribute the right of ruling to God as its author is no less than a willingness to blot out the greatest splendor of political power and to destroy its force. And then he goes on to provide the, the historical context for this. Uh, in truth, sudden uprisings and the boldest rebellions immediately followed in Germany the so-called Reformation. And then he traces us all the way down to communism, socialism, nihilism, and he ends by saying, 
you can almost hear the, the, the sadness in his voice. The things we thus mention are neither unknown nor very remote from us. That mm-hmm. this isn't yep. some theory. <laughs> he's watched it happen, and he's watching it. he was watching it happen near and around the Papal States at this time. Well, the Papal States were gone by that time. But he's watching it happen in Europe, definitely. The rise of socialism was very strong at that time, in the 1880s. Uh, Nicolism as well. Uh, Nicolism says uh, there are various forms of Nicolism, but the way he means it is that there there are no values. Human beings have no morality or what you call values. Uh, that it's it's all that's all abstraction and uh, uh, political authority is just abstraction and it doesn't really exist. That's nihilism. Uh, and uh, that was uh, it was actually nihilists or nihilists who assassinated Alexander II in St. Petersburg. Uh, and uh, uh, it's the same sort of it's all goes back to Rousseau. The general will of the people is what guarantees liberty. When you uh, conform to the general will, you are free because the people are free. You see, you, you become free because the people are exercising their freedom in their general will. That, that was Rousseau's ludicrous idea. So all you do is become a part of a mob. That's all you do. And, and actually, those socialistic governments and communistic governments restrict the freedom of the individual uh, a great deal. Um, but it is the individualism of the Reformation that leads to that. See, the Reformation refused, primarily, the power of God in men. It refused the priesthood. And it transferred that refusal of the power of God in men to authority. So the individual became all-important. See, I can pick up my Bible. I can interpret it. The Holy Ghost inspires me. I have my own interpretations. The individual became all-important in the Reformation. And so the, the only thing that counts is the individual and God. So there is nothing between the individual and God. That, when you get rid of God, then the state becomes a kind of God. And there's nothing in between the state and the individual. Everyone's equal and everyone should have the same share of the pie, and the whole state should be run as if one corporation. So you get socialism and communism as a result of that. So it goes back to the Reformation, that exaltation of the individual and the refusal to see any power of God in a man. Well, and I I think, too, Your Excellency, he's making the point, as you say, the Church not only is not interested in the form of government, the Church is not interested in ruling. The Church has bigger, you could say, bigger fish to fry uh, than worrying about the the everyday concerns of the state, that her job is to help people be better citizens and and, uh, in this life and to become eternal citizens in, in the next life. And I think he makes this point at the end of paragraph 24 very well. But this is what religion can best ask of them. Religion, which by its power enters into the souls and bends the very wills of men, causing them not only to render obedience to their rulers, but also to show their affection and goodwill, which is in every society of men the best guardian of safety. Yes, the profound respect for authority, which is so so much a characteristic of Catholics. 
uh, Catholics operate on authority. That's our biggest single problem right now is that the perceived authority is a heretic, namely Bergoglio. But he's the perceived authority. So the Catholics, based on that perceived authority, become heretics at his bidding. That's what has happened since Vatican II. Uh, in 1963 or two, when when it was called, I mean, the Catholics were faithful to the Catholic dogma. Now Catholic dogma is finished. Uh, we just saw recently uh, uh, Bergoglio um, deny the existence of hell, and that passed by just like a, a ship in the night. Nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. Or orthodoxy is dead. Dogma is dead. It's dead. And, and you know, it's alive in, in a few, few chapels here and there. Uh, but but the, the 1.2 billion people, or most of them, who ha- claim to be Catholic uh, are, are heretics and apostates. But in any case, the Catholic, by his very nature, is very much attached to authority, not only the authority of the Church, but the authority of the state. And uh, that that has always been the attitude of Catholics uh, and the Catholic Church to uphold the authority of the state, even states that were hostile to them, uh, England, uh, uh, Russia. I mean, uh, a lot of the European states were persecuting. The Catholic Church always uh, wanted to tell citizens that you know, despite all, you must obey the government in everything that is legitimate. Well, and that's in direct opposition to the modern doctrine that not only do you have a right to overthrow a government you perceive to be unjust, but that it's almost a duty. Yeah. These are in complete opposition to each other, the Catholic sense and, and the modern revolutionist sense, as you have called it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, revolutionism is very much tied to Freemasonry as well. All of those ideas were put into a type of church or religion in the 18th century in the form of Freemasonry. And Freemasonry was very, very influential in the 19th century in inculcating these ideas. In paragraph 26, the Holy Father brings us to the conclusion, and and I think where we've been aiming the entire uh, time we've been discussing the encyclical. In paragraph 26, he says, The Church of Christ indeed cannot be an object of suspicion to rulers, nor of hatred to the people, for it urges rulers to follow justice, and in nothing to decline from their duty, while at the same time it strengthens and in many ways supports their authority. All things that are of a civil nature, the Church acknowledges and declares to be under the power and authority of the ruler, and in things whereof, for different reasons, the decision belongs both to the sacred and to the civil power, the Church wishes that there should be harmony between the two, so that injurious contests may be avoided. And of course, mm-hmm. His Holiness is alluding to to various historical episodes, but pointing out again that the Church is not seeking this power to rule, the, the temporal power. She yeah. has her own temporal power, as is necessary, but that uh, she is trying to provide harmony and lubrication between the ruler and the ruled. And His Holiness has done an excellent job of indicating not only why this makes common sense, not only why it's a command from God, but why it's good for society, that this is how a good society functions. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess uh, the rule of common sense, uh, apart from God's command. Yes, yes. It, it, the, the church always wanted to see a harmonious um, 
coexistence between church and state, and uh, never wanted to usurp any rights of the state. Now, you see, for 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 further reading on this, so we have Dear Turnum Illud, which is talking about the proper way to understand government from the Catholic perspective. Is are there other encyclicals or other points of reading? I think some people might be interested in that that Thomas Bellarmine dichotomy that you you spoke of earlier. Are there other encyclicals, maybe not encyclicals, but other texts that they might want to read to 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 dive into these teachings that we talked about uh, today a little bit deeper? Uh, there is one book that treats of all all of that theory of power that I talked about, but. Uh, I think it's the origins of political authority by a Dominican, and I forget his name. Uh, I don't know if it's available, but it's a very small book, but very concise and tells everything uh, about what I did, what I just said. And so, if they can uh, get that, uh, that would be great. But uh, as far as speaking about that specifically, no, uh, the popes really didn't get into it. Uh, but uh, reading about uh, liberty, which uh, which is uh, the 1888 encyclical Libertas Prestantissimum of uh, Leo the Thirteenth, would be a very good thing to do. Uh, and uh, all of his others, uh, Christian Democracy, um, uh, the um, Freemasonry and Naturalism, those are all the ingredients of the errors. And uh, that would be very important for them to understand the 18th century and 19th century errors that are just in in full gear right now uh, in our governments. Uh, And uh, that would be a good thing for them to study. But as far as theory, uh, you know, it would be very difficult for them to find the right books and in the right languages (laughs) for uh to to really study that political theory but that that's a, what i described is essentially it well and uh, these ideas have gone out of fashion uh your excellency so it's not that big a surprise that the books are out of print yes <laughs> right. uh you i'm sure you have to do a lot of uh photocopying often with with the text that you use at the seminary if you can't find uh copies in print yes yes unfortunately well, that uh, ends our episode, uh, our discussion today on Deuteronomy Illud. Uh, next episode, we'll be we'll be staying with His Holiness Leo the Thirteenth, and we'll be talking about Humanum Genus. But uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about Deuteronomy Illud? You Steve, you felt like we didn't cover today. I, again, it's just an hour. We don't really have the time to do a very deep dive, but enough to to dig into it at least a bit. Uh, is there anything else you you'd like to to say before we close out today's episode? I would instruct Catholics to take their political philosophy not from what they see on television or certain ideas of right-wingers that think that you know America is just peachy king. Uh, take their political philosophy from the Church, that they should be Catholics before they are nationals of any country. And they should understand the origins of the political problems that we have today. In the 18th century thinking, and America in particular is a child of 18th century thinking. All of the people who put America together were 18th century atheists and deists. And they were filled with these false ideas of the what we call the Enlightenment, just loaded with them. 
and uh, so they should understand the perspective that that they shouldn't be taking it from secular history books and and attitudes of other right wing people. Uh, what what is typical of of right wing Americans is to say, well, America is wonderful, and we want to preserve America, which you know is a, is a good thought, and and. Therefore, its origins and its all its political theory must be perfect. That that's the way. And then, conclusion: uh, everything that that is in the American Constitution, everything that is in, in American way of life, and uh, is perfect. Uh, I've seen that uh, so many times. They do not take their signals from the Catholic Church or from Catholic philosophy and, and St. Thomas Aquinas and others, but they take it from deists like. And atheists like Jefferson and Madison and others who, who you wouldn't even want in your living room. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Your Excellency, as always, thank you for your time. And if you have any questions for His Excellency or want have follow up questions, remember you can write to modernerrors at truerestoration.org. Obviously, we have His Excellency back for numerous other episodes this month, and we'll query him on the state of the seminary at that time. Uh, but uh, for today, Your Excellency, thanks so much for your time, and we look forward to speaking with you more. Thank you. We want to remind you that Popes Against the Modern Errors is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.